San Diego 101. So growing up, I didn't really get along well with my sister Stephanie. I have two other sisters, but Stephanie would get on my nerves the most, mainly because we're a year apart. We would fight about everything. Back then, we were little WWF fans, so you can only imagine how intense our wrestling matches used to be. But as much as Stephanie got under my skin, I knew even back then that she was special. She was always the smartest person in the room, and everyone around us recognized it as well. I talked to my mom about it. She said at the time, at our school, there wasn't a program for gifted and talented kids, often called a gate program. My sister was always one of the smartest students in her classes. She followed instructions to a T and could problem solve better than anyone. Plus, Stephanie was great in all academic subjects, including the more challenging ones like math and science. But my mom explained that in order for her to reach her full potential, she needed to be challenged at a different level than other students in her grade. So my mom took matters into her own hands. Ella me sugirió que cuando Stephanie estuviera en tercer año, when Stephanie was in kindergarten, her teacher advised my mom that she should advocate for the gay program when my sister got to third grade. When that time came, my mom asked the school principal if they could implement it, and the principal promised her that it would happen. But when my mom noticed that nothing was getting done, she went to the district and pushed for it. They eventually added the program into the school. Gracias a Dios, tomaron en cuenta mi petición y el distrito she told me that at first it was about us, her kids. My sister needed more from her school to be the best student she could be. I needed help from a school speech therapist at one point, and my mom made that happen too. And eventually, years later, I advocated for myself when I wanted to go to a different high school that had a choir program I wanted. She showed me how to take charge, work with schools, and make it happen. But she said that eventually, it became more than just us. It was about all the kids. She helped change the school. That's what this episode is about. From Voice of San Diego, I'm Adriana Heldes. And I'm Maya Krishnan. This is San Diego 101, Parents Changing Schools. I spoke to my parents about this, too. They were a big part of my education. I'm Chris Sri Krishnan. I'm a retired engineer from IBM. Uh, anything else? <laughs> and you're my father. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm Jaya Sri Krishnan, and I'm also a retired, I'm a retired computer scientist, software engineer from IBM, and I am your mother. Maya Sri Krishnan's mother. They're in New York. I called them up on Zoom. You know, journalists are good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're kidding that journalists are good? <laughs> but I, one thing I will say is I think the more parental involvement there is in a school district, I think the better the school district is because I think it brings in a lot more diversity of thinking 
and perspective than can be possible with just the the employees of the school district. Before they got into thinking about education all the way up at the district level or anything, my parents made sure of a few things. They made sure we were getting A's, my brother and me. They made sure we were on top of math. That was a big thing in our house. And they made sure that they connected with my teachers and showed up at school open houses. Um, There was a teacher who walked in and saw the whole room. It was standing room only in the class. Every student probably had two parents there. And he, he walked in and he stopped and he looked around and he looked at his schedule. And then he looked and he said, oh, this is an honors class. I wasn't expecting an honors class. And then he went on to say that it was pretty much in the honors classes that there would be standing room only when the parents came for open house. And that if he went into one of the regents classes, which is the standard level, that very often there would only be a few sets of parents there. Most of the parents would not you know, attend open house. And that was what dad was talking And kind of like with Adriana's mom, they realized that as parents, they had this obligation to the other kids too, not just my brother and me. We were all connected at school, and some kids needed help. So we also started uh, a math, uh, initially it started as a teaching class to supplement what was being taught. Uh, so be- fortunately, we have a lot of IBM professionals in the area, and they're willing to volunteer. And then we kind of grew it into an after-school health program. So because they both worked for IBM and there were a lot of other IBM employees in the area around school, they came together as parents and engineering nerds to fill in gaps. They made up this program. Once a week, local professionals would help out kids who were struggling with math. They'd answer their questions and tutor them through hard problems. And my dad says it's still a thing now. It's not that easy, but we were there. It was a thing. It's still going on after so many years. But sometimes parents need more than that. They need to do more than that. More than just extra tutoring here and there, volunteering a few hours a week. And sometimes, a lot of times really, a child needs more. More from a parent, more from a school, more from the system just so they can keep up and get a quality education that we're all entitled to. After the break, we're going to talk about that with Mora. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about your kids and you know where they went to school? How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> so my we lived. This in- is Maura Aberton. Over time, we have been. I think I've counted nearly 30 schools across San Diego Unified. And her story um, starts about now. 20 years ago when one of her kids, her son, the eldest of five, was diagnosed with autism. Back then, I would say autism was known, but certainly nothing like the prevalence that we have now. He was kind of in that, uh, I would say, like sort of a second wave of autism. But um, at the time, they when, when he was getting diagnosed, First, you, you kind of had to make the rounds and visit, and then eventually they were like, oh, you better go see a developmental pediatrician. You go to the pediatrician, this you know person, and they're like, well, we don't want to call it this because it's very rare. And at the time, they were like, one in a 1,000. And of course, now it's like one in 60, I think, or one in 66 is now, I think, the prevalence. Um, and so I just, I remember being a little overwhelmed <laughs> um, because I didn't know anything about that diagnosis. The diagnosis changed things. School wasn't going to be simple anymore. She was overwhelmed. I remember being kind of overwhelmed by that. And I think initially, and I guess this is an unchanged, no matter when your child gets identified, um, is the sense of this whole new vocabulary. And just a real quick thing here about the phrasing, Terminology around disabilities has changed a lot over time, obviously. We're going to use students with disabilities or kids with disabilities, putting people first. This whole new like bureaucracy and all these laws and rules and procedures and none of which you sought out and none of which exist in isolation. So you're still, which is a good thing, a student with a disability is a general education student first, but that for, for a parent, it means you have to know the gen ed side of the house, and then you have to add on the special education piece. Just um, learning about gen ed, meaning general education, is a big deal by itself. But with a diagnosis that introduces special education, there's so much more to learn. Now, Maura's facing this big, complicated future. It's scary and lonely. Like, bridge that gap from this kid from Illinois who knows no one, has no family in the area. Like, how am I going to become a member of this community? Um, Especially where I don't live where the school is and I'm only here occasionally. And, like, how am I going to be involved? But there was this one person, another mom, who also had a kid with a disability and more experience with all of this. She came up to Mora. Her advice was you have all of your life to process the emotions you don't have all of your life. You have this small window to get in the early intervention services for your child. And so I kind of went, oh, okay, I will check my emotion and I will just focus on this piece. So so there is a piece of, you know, that that, that definitely influenced the way I approached um, getting involved. For Mora and a lot of parents of kids with disabilities, getting involved isn't a choice. It's a necessity. You have to get involved. You have to learn, even if the future is uncertain. When when you were starting off, um, like learning more about your child's education, how you can get involved, and what was one of the things that you struggled to understand the most 
um, during that time? The future. I think I think if anybody's answering that, I think we all want to know if we put this input in, this is going to be our, our output. And I think that's something that um, I see other families really, you know, you want to discern, am I making decisions that are going to have the best possible outcome? So now I have a second answer for you, which is that in dealing with school districts, really the tension is all around the appropriateness, the word appropriate. So there's free, appropriate public education. We all understand free. We get public education. That appropriate means like a floor of opportunity, um, access. Um, it doesn't mean the best. It doesn't mean like the perfect. <laughs> it doesn't mean optimal. It means adequate and appropriate and reasonable. And so I think that tension is really where um, – it's what keeps that parent involvement piece really um, constantly somewhat in conflict with, you know, big agencies. So Maura knows now that there's this idea that all schools have agreed to. They have to give all kids an appropriate education. And now she's got to advocate to make that happen. I don't feel like it's been that long since I was new and overwhelmed and I think at the time where I really started to realize that this isn't going to be just a brief little encounter with special education, it's probably going to be for a while. Um, so I think that was part of it is realizing that I was spending all this time thinking about education and talking to people about my son's education and about what to expect in the future. And so I guess the short answer is it's personal. And I think that's the case with every family, whether you are a person who is advocating on behalf of your child who has maybe like has experienced trouble because of COVID or if you have a youngster who has had interrupted formal education for whatever reason, whether it's COVID or a refugee status, like whatever it is that you want to make sure that the school is considering and accommodating, you are coming into this education system with like your very personal um, values and your personal interest. And so for me, you know, I had one kid on one hip, one kid on another, there was lots of noise. And I started to realize like, I'm spending a really lot of time dealing with education. I probably would rather be like, I'm not going to say a subject matter expert, because I really don't think I'm even that now. But I would say like a subject matter journeyman, <laughs> or a subject matter apprentice, like, I don't want to just be a consumer. She went for it. We had, we had an amazing preschool teacher who was really patient and really wanted to bring parents into, like she wanted us to know why she was doing what she was doing. She, she worked with teachers, therapists, caseworkers. Kind of administrative person for the district. And so I remember her fondly <laughs> as, as a worthy adversary. Um, and, and she saw connections with other parents going through the same thing. The thing that scrolls through my head are all the waiting rooms that I sat in over the years, like getting speech therapy, getting occupational therapy, you know, going to sign in at a school office, and all those parents that came in, um, that like signed in after me, and you know, looking over to like, do I have anything in common with you? Is there a way I can have a connection with you? She was making it happen. Then, there was a moment, another scary moment, 
when she had to stand up and speak out for her kid. I, my son was, I would say, a complex student in terms of education, but also in terms of behavior. And I, we hit, we came to, I'd rather not go into the specifics for privacy, but we hit a a situation that was really um, not okay. And that was... She went to a meeting for something called ACAC. That's Community Advisory Committee for Special Education. They're a group that advises special education policy and issues for a group of schools in the area to make sure that the schools are serving kids with disabilities. And that was my first time going to a CAC meeting and standing up and giving this public testimony. And afterward, I had, you know, there was a sense of parents that were members coming up and like, it's going to be okay. Like, like that sense of, oh, not, not sympathy, but like, we want to we want to support you as you get this remedied, um, which which was like what I was looking for. I think was just that sense of you're right. This isn't okay. And and the response from the district was to like you're right. We want to we want to help fix this. She found a community. She spoke up, stood up for her kid and what she thought was right, and it sparked something in her that fueled a lot more years of making schools better, and not just for her son. And so I think that sense of being heard and that sense of being supported, but also that sense of, oh, there is so much more beyond just my child's needs. And if I'm going to, you know, spend time talking about his needs, wouldn't it make more sense to, like, spend time talking about, like, fixing it? (laughs) So I think that was when I was like, oh, okay, I can attend a few more meetings. And, yeah, I I can do this. I can join. So I was a member for many years just kind of back row. Quiet. <laughs> and then uh, eventually, you know, joined the executive committee. And then I ended up being chair for a couple of years and then kind of hand, we try to take turns <laughs> and then ended up being chair for a few more years. And now we have a wonderful chair, <laughs> wonderful chair. I hope he stays forever. Um, so that's that's one of the things that like you brought up a good point, because I was talking to my mom last night about how you know, the reasons why she got involved and sort of her experiences because she was super involved when I was growing up. And one of the things that she said was, you know, I started off as like wanting to support you guys. But over time, I, you know, I started to realize that like it's more than just you guys. There's these other kids in school and you sort of built this bond with them, too, and you want to help them as well. Um, so I'm assuming that's something that you've experienced as well. I think there's a the most... Um, Difficult cases for me, or I, I shouldn't call them cases, the most difficult situations, even as chair, was when you when you open it up to public testimony and a family's telling you, they're telling the public what they've experienced. And to know, like, it, it takes you right back to your moment um, and, and wanting it to be, and wanting the remedy, but also not wanting to hear that ever again <laughs> out of any other parent. So, yes. And I think the other piece... As, having been in the CAC and trying to um, be responsible to make sure that we are representing, and I, and I can talk more specifically about the, we have about 15,000 students with disabilities. They go from birth through the age of 21 inclusive in San Diego Unified. Um, they, there's, they are one of 13 or 14, depending on the age, 
uh, disability categories. They are they range from mild. The law makes no distinction between mild and severe in terms of what a free and appropriate public education is. It's supposed to be individualized to your needs. And and so when you start to pull that apart and think, I'm responsible, and that some percentage of these students are in the gifted and talented education, they're identified dually. We have students who are English learners. We have students who are, you know, whose families can't be here to participate for whatever reason. And so you really do start to feel like, oh, it cannot just be about my kid. Like it is so much bigger than that. And how do I make sure and represent all of those parents? I'm going to agree with your mom. You re- you just hit the <laughs> point where it's it's it can't just be about you. And and if it was just about you, you'd fix your kid's issue and you'd go home. Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility that you take on. next we're going to bring in our resident education expert reporter will huntsbury he's going to explain more about the cac and other stuff you need to know about education plus ways for parents of kids with disabilities to learn and get involved Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Okay, well, um, San Diego County has 42 different school districts. Voice of San Diego education reporter, Real Huntsbury. The biggest one is San Diego Unified. It has about 100,000 of its own students and then 20,000 students on top of that go to charter schools within San Diego Unified. Again, that's 42 school districts. And just within the mega district San Diego Unified, there are over 100,000 students. And then the whole county, Will says there are half a million students. 500,000 students total. And there's one agency that watches over all of them, the County Office of Education. So many arms of bureaucracy here, so please don't, don't fall asleep, dear listener. But, um, you know, there's 42 districts, and then there is a, a kind of a, a over-district that oversees all of those. It would be the 43rd district, if you count it. It is the San Diego County Office of Education. Um, it runs a few schools itself, actually, um, a few alternative schools for um, people who have ended up in the juvenile justice system and uh, a school for just homeless students, actually, called Monarch. 
Um, but it also has, aside from running those schools, it also has somewhat of an oversight role um, with all, each of the 42 districts. Um, you know, it's basically like an arm of the state. There's the state Department of Education, and it tasks these county offices of education to do a lot of the um, checking a lot of the boxes for the school districts. Like it looks over their shoulder on all the budgets they make, for instance, and it makes sure their budgets look good. And if the districts want to give a raise to administrators or teachers, that's supposed to go through the San Diego County Office of Education, too. They also offer trainings to smaller districts. You know, these these smaller districts don't have the resources that a big San Diego Unified does. So, you know, it might it has a office of um, immigration for um, working with students who have just immigrated to the United States, which is not a small number in San Diego County. So the County Office of Education is a big agency at the top for the whole county. And if we look at the district level, those 42 different parcels of the county, those districts have a lot of committees. Groups made up of parents, educators, and other community members to help keep things going. At the district level, Usually the district maintains several committees that parents can get involved in, that those committees are required to have parents on them. Those committees give input to the school board to make decisions. So that's at the big district level. Down at the more localized level of the school itself, you know, schools themselves also have all these official groups. Usually there's a PTA. That's something everybody's familiar with, right? And we think of it as kind of, a money-raising organization. Um, it's not always that. A lot of times they put on events and things like that. There also can be foundations, which are specifically set up to raise money. And a lot of times in richer neighborhoods, you see these foundations more than in poorer neighborhoods. There are also these governance committees. There's something called a school site council. Um, and, you know, this is a group of parents and teachers and the principal. And, these this this governance committee has a role in deciding how certain money gets spent. You know, some money from schools comes from the federal government. It's called in uh, there's lots of different federal money, but one type's called Title One money. And these committees have a role in saying how um, saying how that money gets spent. So I think, you know, that's uh, one way to get involved at the school level that can have a really big impact. But at the district level, you know, there are a lot of other committees. There's the DLAC, uh, which is for English learners. Um, there's CAC, um, Community Advisory Council, which is supposed to advise the district on special education issues. Remember, Maura was involved with the CAC at San Diego Unified. It was at a CAC meeting where she had to stand up and talk about her kids' issue and realized there were a bunch of other parents going through the same thing she was. And when I was talking to Will about how parents can make any kind of real impact, he said special education is a big one. Special education is an important one. You know, there are many different types of special education students. Some might be on the autism spectrum and have mild autism, you know, that um, just means that they have minor adjustments in the way they learn. And, and some people need a nurse next to them all day in school. But I think I have, you know, heard this directly from special education teachers that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, and meaning persistent parents get results. Sure and that is unfortunate. 
And I'm sure if we had some district officials in here, they'd deny it till the cows came home. You know, no, all our special education students get exactly what they deserve. Um, I don't think that that's always true in practice. I think when parents get really involved and they say what they want for their child and they advocate for their rights, they're a lot more likely to get those rights, you know, and, and special education in the district's defense. One thing we might consider is that special education is expensive. You know, if, if you're talking about having a nurse with a child every day, that's very expensive. Um, or even if you're talking about sending in a reading specialist to work one-on-one -on -one with that child one hour a day, that's very expensive. And, you know, district's, don't necessarily have all those resources just dangling from the trees available for anybody who wants them. So for a parent who's pushing for them, they're more likely to get them. So back to some of the nitty gritty and what school means if your kid has a disability, there's this thing that's a big deal called an IEP. It's an individualized education plan. And every student who um, is a special education student has one of these IEPs. And the IEP is a plan constructed by the student's teachers and by the student's parent. And it's a legal document that has to be followed. So if it says that Johnny gets a... Uh, three hours of language instruction a week or speech therapy, that has to happen. It doesn't mean it always does happen, but uh, it is supposed to happen legally. And a parent has a way to enforce it because they can say, you know, here, here is right in the IEP, do it. But, you know, that IEP requires participation because the family and the teachers all have to get together at least once a year to update that document and everybody sign off on it together and say, we're good, you know? So the, the district or the district employees might be suggesting one thing and the parent might be like pushing back, like, no, that's not right. Like, actually I need something different or I need something more. And so there's this whole kind of negotiation that goes on about what services the student will get. Um, and that's not something that regular parents have to do, obviously. You know, if, if you want, you can just drop your kid off at school and, and or, or, you know, put them on the bus and, and you know, and that's and that's it. Um, and, and certainly different parents are engaged in the IEP process differently. Some I've heard special education teachers call red flag parents, parents who are just like, almost overbearing and involved every on every single decision, no matter how minute. And those families can end up getting, do end up getting a lot of the attention, um, you know, and that, that comes back to the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? But the, the IEP team and the special educators, you know, then are kind of forced because there is a legal obligation to, wrap around that parent and try to, in some cases, appease them, make sure the student's getting what they want. And so it can really suck for a family who maybe doesn't have the time to be a red flag parent, you know, um, and, you know, they're signing off on the IEP, but they're not as involved. Um, in those cases, you know, special education students um, are probably not getting the resources of a parent who is really involved in that process. 
And this can sound daunting, we know. 42 districts, special education versus general education, county office of education, CAC, PTO, PTA, school site councils. If that's all just swirling around your head, Will says there are three simple things he'd say about getting involved in education. Number one, send one email and ask one question. If you're a parent, send an email to your kid's teacher and ask them something simple. Start the conversation. That puts your kid on the teacher's radar and can be the beginning of a journey to make your kid's education great. Number two, volunteer for anything. Like Will said, and as more experienced, there are tons of ways to volunteer at schools. It can be as simple as being a back row attendee at the PTA or an advisory committee. And no matter how little or how much you do, it does pay off for your kid. Number three, getting involved isn't just for the kids. It'll pay off for you too. Getting involved at a school level can be one of the most direct ways to make change in your community. One of the things that my mom said was, you know, she started to notice the more she got involved with our schools um, is that as as much as we told her, like, oh, my mom's always at school and like we're annoyed that she's always here and always involved. But she also sensed that like, you know, our mom cares. Right. And from her end, she's like, I'm showing that I do care and I'm, I'm building that bond with my kids. Um I right. think that's, yeah. And, right. And so even if a kid is like embarrassed, something out my mom's going to school, you know, yeah. like there, there's an unspoken thing there, which is like care and love. Before we go, we wanted to leave you a few resources Maura gave us for parents of kids with disabilities who are all figuring it out. One is called the IEP Day Conference, a big annual event with people and resources you can talk to and learn from. Check that out at iepday.org. We put more of her resources in the show notes. This is our last episode of the season. We'll be back in a few months with more stories. Thanks for listening. SD101 Credits. San Diego 101 is a product of Voice of San Diego. Hosted and produced by Maya Shikrishnan and Adriana Heldes. Produced, edited, and mixed by me, Nate John. Additional support from Megan Wood. Learn more about San Diego and how it works at sd101.org. That's sd101.org. San Diego 101 is made possible with support from the Langler Benbow Foundation, the Parker Foundation, and the Seuss Foundation. Additional support from Gulper, Sullivan, Rivera, and Osuna, and Bloodhurst and O'Reardon, LLC, and the members of Voice of San Diego. Support SD101 and become a member now at vosd.org slash member. San Diego 101. Complete. I love you.